Thanks for listening to the weekly sermon. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Kyle Hubbard. For more about this podcast and other resources, visit our website at www.riverinthehills.com. Today we're going to be picking back up our sermon series on the spiritual gifts. Everyone say spiritual gifts. We're going to be looking at the seven motivational gifts, specifically three of them today that are found in Romans chapter 12. And as a pastoral team, we feel that God has given us a clear mandate, a clear goal from heaven for this spiritual family through this specific sermon series. This goal for us, I believe, is a threefold goal, a threefold goal. It's discovery, understanding, and utilization. Discovery, understanding, and utilization. First, we desire that every single person in this church family, every single person, would first discover what their motivational gift actually is. Simply, we want you to find out what Jesus has placed inside of each one of you. And as we've researched and prayed over this topic, we've come to the conclusion that the easiest and simplest way to discover our primary motivational gift is to take note of what brings us the most joy out of this list of seven. It's all connected to joy. These seven gifts in Romans 12 are literally translated as the gifts of grace, the charismaton in the Greek gifts of grace. And because joy, which in the Greek is car, everyone say car, that's joy. Because car is the Greek root of this word for grace, this tells us that joy and delight necessarily become the roots that lead us to discovery. Joy and delight are the great, think about it this way, joy and delight are the greatest signposts that should point us to that specific motivating force that God has deposited in each one of us. So let us first discover our motivational gifting by following the joy. Let's follow the joy. Second, after discovery, we desire that everyone would understand more clearly what their motivational gift means in practical outworking in their life. We desire for each person to understand how their gift is designed to operate and function through their lives. Saying it another way, we want each body part to know their God-appointed role in this local body known as River in the Hills Church. What has God planned for you to contribute to the overall well-being of this body of believers? We hope to help you understand your vital contributing role through this sermon series. And third, after initial discovery and deeper understanding, we desire that each family member would joyfully utilize their specific motivational gift by yielding to it, cooperating with it, and using it, flat out using it, all for God's glory. Amen? We desire that each person would be a fully functioning member actively serving the body of Christ and the world around them with their motivational gift as the driving force, the driving force providing the passion and the power to fuel their service every step of the way. And from all of this, we have great anticipation. 
We anticipate real growth and real maturity and overall the building up of the whole body of Christ. All of this happening as we become activated and weaponized. Can I say this? We will become activated and actually weaponized to further God's kingdom in the earth. We become weapons of love through these seven motivations. Amen? Do you see yourself? You are a vessel, a weapon, an arrow of love for Jesus in the earth. Now, to sum up this threefold purpose that we as a pastoral team have, let's keep going with this analogy from the Bible that likens the whole church to being one cohesive body. One cohesive body made up of distinct, unique body parts that are all vitally connected and flowing together in unity. With this analogy in mind, let me sum up our goal, and more importantly, I believe God's goal for us all. We want, there's going to be some things on the screen that'll be cool to tie in these, these desires. We want the prophetic ears and the prophetic eyes to discover that they are indeed ears and eyes in the body. And from that place of discovery, we desire for them to be trained, equipped, and empowered to hear and see, and then ultimately to trumpet what they are receiving from the Holy Spirit. Second, we want the serving hands to discover that they were made, designed by God, to become the very hands of Jesus on the earth, trained and given opportunities to practically serve the church with all joy and diligence. We want the teaching minds to discover that they were made to dig deep and mine out the treasures of the scriptures. And then from that place, we desire to give them a platform to teach and to instruct and illuminate the body with revelation light that God has imparted to them through their diligent study. We want the exhorting voices to find out that they were born to be encouragers, the eternal optimists of the church. We want the exhorters to be equipped with wisdom and permission on how and when to call out the gold that God has put into every single believer around them. We want the giving hearts to discover that they were created to be vessels of wealth and increase in order to finance the great moves of God in our day. We want the leading feet, see my feet up here? We want the leading feet to find out that they have been graced to be governors and kingdom administrators, gifted with supernatural leadership ability. And finally, we want the bellies of mercy. This is a good belly. The bellies of mercy to discover that they were designed to be vessels of the very compassion of Jesus on the earth, vessels of mercy that were made to heal and restore a hurting and broken world around them. This is our desire as pastors in this series. I hope that was made clear with this analogy of the body. Amen? All right, let's look now at our anchor text for this whole series out of Romans 12. Romans 12, 6 through 8. It'll be up on the screen. Here's the text. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. Or let us discover, understand, and utilize them. If prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith. Or service, let us use it in our serving. He who teaches in teaching. He who exhorts or encourages in exhortation or encouragement. He who gives, give with liberality or generosity. He who leads, lead with diligence. He who shows mercy, show mercy with cheerfulness. 
This morning, there's all seven right there in those three verses. This morning, we are going to cover the middle three of the seven gifts. Teaching, exhortation or encouragement, and giving. Now, for those in the room who may have missed the first two messages on this subject, I encourage you to go back and give them a listen at some point during this next week. You can do that on our podcast platforms or our YouTube channel. Thank you, Sloan, for putting that together. Those prior messages were given on October 16th and October 23rd. But again, today, we're going to be diving into the middle three gifts of teaching, exhortation, and giving. Let's jump in first with the gift of teaching. Teaching. The person with the primary grace gift of teaching is motivated and driven by a desire to clarify the truths of Scripture through diligent research and straightforward instruction. Teachers love the truth, and they love the principles that come out of a specific truth. Teachers are fascinated with learning just for learning's sake sometimes. <laughs> for, for teachers, painstaking detail is not painstaking to them. It's the opposite. For teachers, the delight is actually in the details. People with this gift of teaching actually come alive and find great pleasure in figuring out how things work and come together from every conceivable angle. Y'all thinking of some teachers in your life? It may be you in the room right now. The healthy Christian with this gift of teaching loves the Bible. They devour commentaries, and they just can't get enough of good Christian books. It's this friend that always has a new Christian book that's just blowing their mind, and they want to give it to you. I could, I could name some names in here. <laughs> Teachers just love when God's Holy Spirit of revelation hits them, and the proverbial light bulbs come on in their hearts and minds. And because teachers find so much delight in these personal aha moments, they usually just can't help but to share these revelations with other people. Teachers experience another unique joy when they see those light bulbs illuminated in the hearts and minds of their hearers. Overall, teachers usually possess a high sensitivity to the accuracy of words and the precision and usage of terms. Teachers often enjoy presentations that are laid out in a systematic sequence. They love things A, B, C, 1, 2, 3. Now, there are two main negative dynamics that may arise when teachers don't actively allow the Holy Spirit to lead their lives. The first one is that teachers may show a tendency to neglect other realms of responsibility by going overboard in their studies. <laughs> Teachers may spend too much time in the books at the expense of other rightful things that God has called them to. For example, teachers may be able to tell you how many cells are in the human liver or how many times Jesus quoted the book of Deuteronomy in the Gospels. But as they are telling you, their car registration may be two years out of date and their office is so disorganized that it looked like a traveling band of raiders came in and ransacked their office. <laughs> Don't name any names. This is a real trap for teachers to overcome, but they can and will overcome it with the help of the Holy Spirit and others in their lives that God brings them to balance them out. There is grace for balance and growth in those other areas of responsibility for teachers. 
Take that grace from heaven now if you feel that's for you. The second trap for teachers to avoid is the snare of becoming too heady and intellectual at the expense of being emotionally disconnected. Teachers can know so much in their heads that they neglect to grow in that necessary heart-level intimacy and emotional connection with Jesus and other people. Again, there is grace from heaven today for the teacher to overcome the trap of cold intellectualism. There is grace this morning to allow all the information you're learning in your head to make that 18-inch journey down to your heart to touch your emotions. There is grace for your brilliant thoughts to actually beautify your emotional health. Teachers, there is grace for your head and your heart to work together, not against each other. That's God's will for your life, amen? Let's look now at an example from the life of Jesus that I believe was a great display of his motivational gift of teaching. And just a reminder, Jesus, as our perfectly whole example, carried and expressed all seven motivational gifts perfectly. The example we're going to look at with Jesus' teacher is from the Sermon on the Mount. I'm going to say Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapters 5 through 7. Throughout this 111-verse masterpiece of a teaching, I believe Jesus was motivated and driven to deliver it through this motivational gift. Jesus aimed in these three chapters to rightly divide the word of truth and to expound upon the true meanings of some common Old Testament verses that were being misinterpreted and misapplied in his day. Matthew 5, 27 through 28, Jesus says, You have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not commit adultery. But I say to you today that whoever looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Now when Jesus said, You have heard that it was said, he said this many times in the Sermon on the Mount, You have heard that it was said. What was he doing there? He was pointing back to a certain Old Testament scripture or ideal here from the book of Deuteronomy. Do you see here with the case of the adultery scripture how Jesus taught the true heart of the matter? Do you see how Jesus, motivated by his teaching gift to clarify things for his disciples and for us us ultimately, do you see how this motivation caused him to shed brilliant light on the root of the issue of adultery in man's heart. Jesus taught us here that adultery starts with the eyes. It starts with our focus. Infidelity and lust always start with an impure look. It doesn't happen overnight. It starts with an impure heart and an impure eye focus. So what does that mean for us? There's hope. That means that if we can train our eyes, if we can train our eyes, In day-to-day life, to only look at things that are pure, that means we can demolish the root of lust and escape the snare of infidelity. Jesus, through his teaching gift here, gave us great hope on this issue that all of mankind, men and women alike, face equally. I love Jesus as teacher. Jesus always got to the heart of the matter. Jesus always illuminated the root in order to heal and deliver us, not just from the symptoms of sin, 
but the very causes and roots of it. This is what the teaching gift can do. Teaching reveals truth, and the truth does what? It sets us free. Teaching reveals truth, and the truth sets us free. Literally, when you hear truth, demons hate the truth and they flee. If you receive truth in your heart, so many people have been demonically delivered from just a pure teaching of the Word of God. (laughs) Now, here's my simple pastoral encouragement for the teachers in the room. Teacher, I encourage you to give yourself to passionate and diligent study. We need you to spend long hours in the gold mine of God's word, bringing up treasures we've never seen before. Teacher, we need you to accept and rejoice in your irreplaceable calling to be that illuminating light and the propagator of God's truth in the earth. Teacher, we need to hear your voice so that we may bask in the light that God has given to you to give to us. Amen? All right, let's move on to the next gift, exhortation. Exhortation. Encouragement is synonymous with exhortation. The person with a motivational gift of exhortation is motivated and driven by a desire to encourage and build up others. Exhorters help others to visualize God's best for their lives. Exhorters call and invite others to pursue a course of action that will set them up for eternal success. Exhorters are the hyper-positive and optimistic people that are always seeing the glass half full. (laughs) In fact, extreme exhorters might even perceive that the glass is overflowing with goodness even when in actuality, it's only like 30% full. <laughs> now, because of this perspective, exhorters are the one who are, ones who are constantly calling out the best in people. They tend to focus only on the gold that God has deposited into every believer. Exhorters have this supernatural ability to look past the weaknesses of others and instead to see God's redemptive purpose over their lives. If an exhorter can lift someone's head by bringing their hopes up with encouraging words and actions, they experience a deep sense of satisfaction and joy from doing that. Now, at their best and healthiest, exhorters carry and spread contagious faith and hope that makes the abundant Christian life possible. Exhorters make the abundant Christian life seem attainable to the everyday believer. Exhorters have a flavor of victory in the tone of their voice. (laughs) Yeah, exhorters have a supernatural ability to visualize and dream up what the best case scenarios are. And then with passion and fervor, they call others to clear steps of action in order to get them to that best best case scenario destination. And because they have been gifted this way, Exhorters usually have a follow-through grace on their lives. Everyone say follow-through grace. What does this mean? It means when exhorters invite people into something, others usually respond positively and actually follow through with that specific call to action that the exhorter just gave. Along these lines, exhorters possess a special grace to get stuck people unstuck. 
Exhorters get stuck people unstuck. Exhorters get people out of spiritual ruts. Saying it with a sports analogy for my sports fans in the room. Exhorters have the ability to propel people out of the spectator stands and onto the running track or the playing field of God's destiny for their lives. Exhorters are usually the life of the party, possessing a drive and a motivation to make everyone in the room feel good and welcome. Along these lines, exhorters usually possess a God-given ability to relate and bond with many different types of people from all walks of life and personality types. They easily make friends, can actually stretch themselves too thin relationally if they don't use wisdom in their relationships. Exhorters usually possess an exceptionally deep need to be liked and appreciated by others. This is a trap. And sometimes the gift of exhortation can become corrupted by this desire to be liked by all. They can easily fall into patterns of man-pleasing and flattery, telling people what they want to hear instead of what they need to hear. Now, the holy antidote to this trap for the exhorter is to actively seek to breathe from the vertical air hose of love and acceptance from your Father in heaven. Actively tap into this air hose of, Father, you love me, you delight in me, you like me. Whether I fall flat on my face today or not, you love me and like me the same. And this is my success, to love you and be loved by you. I'm successful already, no matter what I've done today. That's how the exhorter overcomes the trap to man-pleasing. Instead of focusing on that horizontal air hose of love and acceptance from others, that'll come and go. The people who loved you last year might hate you this year, and the people who hated you last year might love you this year. They, that comes and goes, but this never stops. That oxygen flow is 100%, and it's pure. It's pure love. <laughs> Another antidote to the snare of corruption for the exhorter is to actively pray for a growth in the spirit of the fear of the Lord so that the, temp the temptation towards fear of man is mitigated and actually snuffed out because the fear of the Lord is so present in your life. Let's look now at an example from the life of Jesus where I believe he displayed the motivational gift of exhortation. We will look at some of his words in Matthew 19. Matthew 19. Matthew 19, 27 through 29. Then Peter answered and said to Jesus, See, we have left all and followed you. Therefore, what shall we have, Jesus? So Jesus said to them, Assuredly, I say to you that in the regeneration, catch these words, in the resurrection, when the Son of Man sits on the throne of his glory, you who have followed me will also sit on 12 thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. And everyone, we're included in this verse, everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my name's sake shall receive a hundredfold and inherit eternal life. Jesus here in Matthew 19 exhorted and encouraged the disillusioned Peter. Jesus exhorted him with a visualization of his incredibly glorious and privileged future for billions of years with him in heaven. 
Jesus here was basically telling Peter and us that it's all going to be worth it in the end. It's all going to be worth it in the end. All the self-denial, all the dynamics of the American dream that you have been willingly crucified to, all the things we're giving up in this life in order to love and follow Jesus wholeheartedly, all these acts of obedience are going to pay off so wondrously in the end. Jesus was encouraging Peter and us that we have indeed chosen wisdom by being in this room today. We have chosen the better part, Paul Norris, by leaving all to follow him. And that again, we have a mind-blowing, positive future ahead of us. And I do believe, guys, I believe that it was these specific encouraging words and promises from Jesus in Matthew 19 that inspired those early disciples to keep going on that narrow path of self-denial and radical obedience, even when all their possessions were taken and they were thrown in jail and ultimately martyred for his name. And I believe it's these same words in Matthew 19 of exhortation that should inspire and produce the same results in our hearts today. Amen? When you boil down the heart of an exhorter here in Jesus and in the church today, what is the core message of the exhorter? I believe the core message of the exhorter is this. All the warfare is going to be worth it in the end. All the warfare is going to be worth it in the end. So keep going. Don't give up. The eternal rewards promised to the overcomer are going to be a billion times better than the best temporal rewards this world could throw our way today. A minute in the resurrection is better than a hundred years of having everything in this life. A minute in the resurrection is better than a hundred years of everything this world could offer us. That's the core message of the exhorter. Live for another age. The exhorter helps us, plain and simple, to not quit. I'm looking at a bunch of people who have not quit today. You've been tempted. You may have quit for a season, but you're here. Guess what? You're listening online. You're in the room today. You have not quit. And Jesus wants to thank you for not quitting on life, on him, on the faith, on your family, on your friends that you keep praying for. Thank you for not quitting. It means so much to him. That wasn't in my notes. He just, that just dropped in my spirit. <laughs> I'm so thankful, guys, for the exhorters that have spoken into my life time and time again. They are a massive part of the reason that I'm standing up here today. <laughs> Thank you to the exhorters in my life. I'm thinking of my mom, thinking of Sloan, my buddy Blaze, Ben, right here. Mike Bickle in Kansas City, his messages have got me back on the running track so many times. Now to those in the room and those listening online who think they may have exhortation as their primary motivational gift, I want you to listen to me intently here. We need your voice. We need your encouragement. We need you to be the eternal optimists and the Mr. Brightsides of the church. We need you to paint a picture of God's eternal best for our lives. We need you to help lift our heads daily while it is called today. We need you to tell us often, please tell us often, that all the warfare is going to be worth it in the end. <laughs> Amen? Let's move now to our last motivational gift for today, the fifth one in the list of seven. Then Pastor Nate in two weeks is going to cover the last two. 
which is the last or the last one we're going to cover today is giving. Everyone say giving. You're like, Kyle, we already did the offering. We don't have to talk about this. We got it. Oh, there's more good stuff in here. <laughs> the person with the primary motivational gift of giving is someone who is motivated and driven to share, to share their whole lives in order to meet specific needs in the body of Christ. This includes joyfully and generously sharing their material and financial resources with those in need. Givers are usually those people who are exceptionally good with money and investments. They possess a supernatural ability to generate and grow wealth. People with the primary gift of giving are the ones who live out the Deuteronomy 8.18 promise. What does that promise say? It says, it is the Lord alone who gives us power to get wealth. That's a wild verse. It is the Lord alone who gives us the power to get or produce or generate wealth. Givers lead the way in receiving and imparting this God-given wealth-generating power that was promised to the people of God in this 818 verse. Just like Abraham was blessed by God in Genesis 12 in order to be a blessing, givers live out this blessed to be a blessing reality. Givers are mega blessed to be a mega blessing to the church and God's purposes in the earth. They find great joy in meeting specific and practical needs, and they usually possess an uncanny ability to identify good and fertile kingdom soil. Just like a wise stock investor, givers see kingdom stock values that we usually can't see, and they can spot when a ministry is taking ground in the spirit. They love investing in a winning ministry or a winning person. Givers experience real internal pleasure when they see the return on their investment pay off in the people and the ministries that they have backed. Now, when this gift is operating in a healthy and secure believer, the giver won't seek after public recognition or notoriety for their monetary contributions. Instead, the healthy giver finds all the joy they need in simply seeing God's kingdom advance and go forward through their contributions. The healthy giver is satisfied in the fact that the Father alone in heaven saw their gift. And because they did it for this audience of one, because they, the healthy giver has this heart, they actually got an eternal memorial set up for them in heaven, an eternal memorial that will never experience rust or decay. Usually the only time, the only time the healthy giver will accept public recognition for the gift is if they know that it will inspire others to give as well. Inspiring others to live lives of cheerful generosity and open-handedness is a healthy desire in the heart of a giver. On this point, givers love the snowball effect or the pay-it-forward effect of generosity and will gladly share testimonies of God's faithfulness in the realms of finance. Again, all with the intent, not to bring glory to themselves, but with the intent to promote a heart of generosity in others, and ultimately to give God all the glory through that testimony. Boiling down this gift further, if you really want to see the the brass tacks of this gift, 
It's right here. People with the gift of giving are why churches can continue to prosper and see God's dreams come to pass in their communities. If people with the gift of giving denied or misused their gift or tried to be someone else, churches and ministries would eventually shut down. IHOP wouldn't be running without givers (laughs) investing for over 20 years in an amazing ministry. (laughs) Our God, plain and simple, blesses ministries and churches like this one with givers. He blesses us with brilliant and generous and wise benefactors in order to fund his great purposes on the earth. We would not be here if people with this gift didn't cooperate with it. I'm so thankful for the givers that help this church and every church to exist and flourish. As you givers, givers in the room, givers listening online, you are tangible proof that God still desires us to be here and to continue to do his work on the earth. Your gift is tangible proof that God is behind this church. Amen? Worship team, you can come on up. Let's look now at our Jesus example. For each of these three, we have a Jesus example. It's always good to have a Jesus example if you're teaching because <laughs> you can't go wrong with Jesus. He really is the Sunday school answer for life. It's always Jesus. Jesus is perfect theology. <laughs> we don't, want, don't know what to pray, don't know what to say. Just say Jesus. I'm so thankful he makes it simple for us because he knows we're but dust and we're very weak. (laughs) Amen? So we're going to look at our Jesus example where he displayed the motivational gift of giving. And just remember that Jesus is always our prime example. He's the high watermark for everything in the realm of spiritual gifts. We're going to look at Jesus' last 24 hours leading up to his final breath as the prime example of a person who was motivated by the gift of giving. Matthew 20, verse 28. The Son of Man, Jesus, did not come to the earth to be served, as you would think a king would do, but instead he came to serve and to give. Everyone say give. He came to give his whole life as a ransom for many. This Greek word for ransom is mind-blowing. You know what it literally means? It means the monetary price that was required to liberate a slave from the bonds of captivity. The monetary price. This was the bond dollar amount needed to set a prisoner free. So this verse says that the bond dollar amount to set all of humanity free from this self-imposed prison of sin and death was the very payment of the whole life of Jesus. The life of Jesus was the cost to your soul's eternal liberty. The cost to your soul's eternal liberty was the very life of Jesus. This was not a cheap bond dollar amount. This was not a cheap ransom price. The cost of humanity's freedom 
forever was the very cost of God's own life. Think about this. This is giving in its highest order. 2 Corinthians 8, 9 drives home even more clearly the idea that Jesus was motivated in his last 24 hours by this grace gift of giving. Here's what it says in Corinthians. For you know, or you have experienced the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Who has experienced the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ? (laughs) Here's the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. That though he was rich, he was rich, yet for your sakes, he became poor. That you, through his voluntary poverty, might become rich. We are so rich in this room today because Jesus voluntarily chose to become poor. Jesus literally opened his hands and emptied his endless heavenly bank account on our behalf. He withdrew every sin from heaven and put it into our dusty earthly accounts. Every wound in Jesus, all the wounds, the seven exit points, they were all exit points for the most prized and precious commodities in the universe. The very blood of God himself. Jesus, as a giver on the cross, voluntarily experienced absolute poverty so that we might experience experience an abundance for every good work that God calls us to. Jesus literally gave it all so that we could have it all. Jesus literally gave it all so that we could have it all. He became poor so that we could become rich. Guys, this is giving in its highest order. And this should inspire all the givers in the room to keep joyfully giving not just your monetary gifts, but to share your whole lives in the love and service of others. Givers, we need your lives fully functioning and we need your gifts fully flowing in the church for us to flourish together. We need your supernatural wealth generating power to fuel and fund the end time purposes of God and the earth. We need your wisdom to be able to spot good kingdom soil to invest in. We literally need givers what you carry. So thank you for who you are. 
who God has made you to be and what you do during the week at your job. We wouldn't be here without you, literally. Amen? Let's stand to our feet. As a recap today, we went over the middle three of the seven motivational gifts. We look at the indispensable role of teachers. We looked at the eternal optimists of the church, the exhorters. And lastly, we just looked at the motivational gift of giving and how truly churches and ministries would not function without them. And now to officially close this message today, I want to give us a picture from nature. You know, God's got a great storyline in the written word of God, but he also has a storyline according to Psalm 19, everywhere you look around you in nature. God has two great books, the Bible and nature. We would, we would do well to study them both. I believe this natural phenomenon that's about to come up on the screen will really solidify and drive home the idea of the seven motivational gifts and how they are intended to flow in beautiful unity through the body of Christ collectively. Here's the picture. It's pure white light going through a prism, refracting into seven different colors <laughs> of the rainbow. Just like pure white light flows through a prism and refracts into the seven different colors of the rainbow, so too does the pure light of the Holy Spirit flow through the body of Christ, the prism in this analogy, to reflect and express the seven different motivations for all Christian service and love. While Jesus was on the earth 2,000 years ago, he was the perfect prism in this analogy. Jesus was the perfect prism. I was like, is that heretical? Jesus was like, no, I like that. The light of the Holy Spirit, that pure white light on the left of the screen, flowed perfectly and completely through Jesus to express all seven motivations perfectly and completely. Now, in 2022, today, through Jesus' body on the earth, which is all of us collectively, we're all the prism now. We're neck down. Jesus is the head in heaven, and we're Jesus neck down on the earth. You think your life doesn't matter? You matter so much. You are Jesus on the earth. That's what the Bible says. That's not heretical. You're his body. You're the fullness of him who fills all in all. Meditate on that for a year. You are the fullness of him who fills all in all. Paul's mind's always blown. There's extra blood. <laughs> I'm going to miss you, Paul. <laughs> We're the prism now. So what does this mean? We each carry a different wavelength of his grace. We each carry a different facet of his beauty. A different color of motivation that animates and excites us to Christian service and love. What I love about this picture from nature with the rainbow is that no one color or wavelength is more important than the other. All seven colors are equally important to the visible spectrum. If one of the seven colors was missing, the palette of this world would be incomplete. We would be missing the inherent beauty and grace that this color has provided to the world. 
So too is this true of you, Christian in the room and Christian listening online. So too is this true of you and your motivational gift in the palette of God's church. We need your unique expression of God's grace and joy in order for us to be complete and mature and ultimately to grow up into the full measure of the stature of Christ. So let us not despise or neglect our gift, whatever it may be, but let us first discover what it is. Then let us understand more about it and how to use it. And then let us actually use it early and often to joyfully serve and love others around us. Amen? I'm going to invite my dad up now and the prayer teams. I'm going to pray for us that my dad's going to take over. My main prayer, because it starts with step one, discovery. My main prayer is through this series, we would first discover what is our primary motivational gift? What is it that brings us joy? What animates us? What excites us to actually go love that person that just cursed us out on the road? So let me pray for discovery. That's, that's my main prayer is that we would first discover because we can't do steps two and three without step one. Amen? Lord, I thank you for your body. I thank you that we are the fullness of you who fill all in all. We look to you, the head. You are the great director of your church. You're the great thinker. You're the great orchestrator. You're the great leader of your church. Lord, and we are your sheep. We know your voice. So Jesus, would you speak to everyone in this church, everyone listening online, what their motivational gift is. It may be the last two that Nate's going to go over, but Lord, whatever it is, would we discover, would you shine your revelation light on our hearts to show us how you made us and how you intend us to serve and love your people around us. Bring discovery, spirit of revelation, fill us, show us what a motivational gift is in Jesus' name. Thanks for listening to the weekly sermon. To download the notes and slides for this message, visit our website, riverinthehills.com. If you would like to partner with us in moving God's heart and changing the world, please subscribe to our podcast, leave a review, and share this episode with a friend.